0: Hello people of the way, blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Mark chapter 7, the book of Mark chapter 7. We continue our study through the New Testament. Now, I'm so in love with this chapter because what we see here in this chapter and we've seen it already, but we see this clash of tradition with Messiah. We've seen it already in the prior chapters. Remember when we were uh, uh, in synagogue on the Sabbath, remember? And here this clash, it expands even further and it's met with the Messiah. Now, so far what's been happening, we see in the prior in our prior chapters how Jesus, he's preaching, he's teaching, he's healing and yet we see this underbelly of society. There's this brewing hatred that is becoming kinetic. Now we've already seen it last week remember with John the Baptist it became kinetic because you see this hatred, but at the same time you see when the hatred becomes kinetic and all of a sudden John the Baptist, he's killed. He has he's beheaded. Remember last week in, in chapter six? Now, remember also, too, in in chapter three, where there's this plot where the Pharisees and Herodians, they're plotting to destroy Jesus, and you see this marriage of the religious establishment and the political establishment, and the plot is to destroy Jesus, you see? And you're starting to see this, 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 it's now tangible as it becomes kinetic. And so we have to understand this, and now we look into Mark 7 in verse one, Mark chapter seven, verse one. And then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. It's like, you know, say, for example, the local street cops come to your door and they just want to ask you some questions. But it's the local street cops. That's one thing. But, you know, if somebody knocks on your door and they're suited up and, you know, they're straight up the feds from Langley, if they come to your door, that's different. There's some weight associated with it. And so what's happening here, though, the heavies from Jerusalem, these are these aren't the Pharisees and the scribes from Nazareth or Galilee. No, these are the heavies from straight up Jerusalem. There's some weight associated to it. And remember, there's a conspiracy there's a conspiracy where the religious establishment and the political establishment they're conspiring together to destroy jesus that's the plot and you know we've been walking with jesus through the book of mark and what crime has he committed what crime has he committed and so the heavies from jerusalem they have motives they want to trap jesus and with these preconceived motives and preconceived intent look at what happens here now remember we we, We've already seen guilt, guilt with the Pharisees in synagogue. Remember our prior studies. And we know that Jesus, he's going to die on the cross. I mean, from this moment in Mark 7, we know that he's going to die on the cross. And we know that our Father in heaven, hallowed be his name. We know that he will resurrect Jesus. Jesus. But these heavies from Jerusalem, they come and they come with criminal intent and their guilt begins to multiply. You see, And innocent blood, according to the law, innocent blood has major, major, major penalties, according to the law. Now, look what happens with these heavies from Jerusalem in verse two. Now, when they saw, now when they saw some of the disciples eat bread with defiled, That is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. Already, already we see some major problems here. So the Pharisees from Jerusalem, the so-called learned ones, the heavies, they find fault. They find fault. Now, the average person at this particular moment in the Mark 7 era, the, the average person might be frightened at their claim. Like, oh my goodness, the disciples, they don't wash their hands. You know, what's happening? And they might, they might align themselves with the claim of the heavies from Jerusalem, the, the Pharisees and the scribes. The average person might say, wait a second, you know what? The Pharisees are right. Some of the disciples didn't wash their hands. The disciples are guilty. The disciples are guilty, but when you understand formula, when you understand formula, holy formula, Genesis to to Revelation and everything in between, when you understand holy formula, guilty of what? Guilty of what? Because there's no law that says wash your hands to eat, but there is a law that says wash your hands before coming to the tabernacle, you see? We absolutely see fault, but it's not with the disciples. It's not with Jesus. The fault is with the Pharisees. And there's something else. We see here the tradition of Moses, the tradition of law. That's not what they're adhering to. These heavies, the Pharisees and the scribes, they come from Jerusalem, but they're adhering to tradition of the elders you see as we see in verse three the tradition of the elders now if you've been walking with with us for a while you remember our old testament studies in the book of judges and submitting to the elders is very beautiful very beautiful but the formula in the elders it better be right it better be right remember the elders under joshua praise be to the lord those elders were everything was on point the formula was right but then you get to the book of Judges, and then you see what happens upon multiple generations. You see how the Lord becomes forgotten? Look at those elders. Look at the elders in our studies in 1 Samuel. How it's those elders, all of a sudden, they're the ones that are rejecting the Lord and have forsaken the Lord and have become idolatrous. Remember our study? If, you've been, if you're a new listener, go back and listen to our study through 1 Samuel, and you'll understand. Get yourself caught up because we're currently there. And get yourself caught up with our Wednesday studies as well. Now, submitting to the elders in the era of Joshua, no problem whatsoever. No problem whatsoever. Why? Holy formula. Submitting to the elders in the era of Samuel, huge problem, major problem. Why? Unholy formula. You see, it's the exact same with pastors today. Exact same. How submission to the pastor is very beautiful. The Bible says, submit to your pastor. Submission to pastor, very beautiful. But it better be the right pastor, you see, because the kind that the Bible instructs on, holy, you see, the one where the formula is right. And these are a very rare breed in the last days, but they're out there. They're godly men who look out for your soul. They're out there. It's very rare. But you look at the religious establishment here. So far in our study, chapter one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Look at the religious establishment. And we see how the, the, the marriage with the, uh, the, the political establishment, they're plotting to, to kill Jesus. They're plotting to destroy Jesus. And already, already we see the Sabbath. We see the Sabbath. Strike one. Strike one. We see the hand washing. Strike two. We see adherence to man instead of adherence to God. Strike three. And they're attempting to find fault with Jesus. On top of that, they're doing it to God's sheep. They're doing it to God's sheep, of whom Jesus is the good shepherd over. You see? I mean, when you understand formula that the average person, I mean, if, if we were to go back in time, get in my time machine and go back to this Mark 7 generation, if you and me were to go back in time and be here and listen, except we go there without understanding, we would be like, oh my goodness, the disciples are in the wrong because look, these, these religious leaders, they make this claim and we would kind of be on their side like, well, they're right. You know, they didn't wash their hands. But when we understand formula, when we understand this holy recipe that God has outlined in the blueprints that we find in the holy word of God that the Lord has given, then we start to see like, wait a second. You see two camps here. Those with Jesus, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. When you understand formula, it's like, wait a second. There's nothing wrong with the disciples. There's nothing wrong with Jesus. And you see like, wait a second, this is beautiful. But then those against Jesus... The, the religious establishment, the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, the heavies from Jerusalem. It's not just bad. It's terrifying for them. Because you can see when we understand formula, you can see how these are people who have positioned themselves against the Lord. And that's never a good place to be. You see? Now, remember, the Pharisees. They're the ones who are supposed to be in the know. They are tasked in the law. They're the ones that are to be in the know, tasked by the law to shepherd the people. You see, they should be the ones bowing down and worshiping Jesus. They should be the ones to bow. You know, I could understand for the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. I can understand completely, you know, maybe not like, you know, like interrogation, but just asking Jesus some questions. Qualifiers, you know, I can understand asking questions just to make sure, you know, not to jump the gun, you know, but just to make sure. But I can understand that. But what they're doing here is they've already plotted to attack. They're, they've are they already plotted with these preconceived notions, these preconceived ideas. It's premeditated. You see? When they should be the ones worshiping Jesus. But what happened? They're blind. They're blind. How did this happen? Well, we've seen the same thing in the book of Judges. Remember our study in the book of Judges? Nothing new under the sun. Because in the book of Judges, sure, we got the priesthood. But look at them. Look at them. Look at the idolatry. Look at the sex. Remember the gang rape? The death, the blood, the body parts in every tribe of Israel. Remember? Very difficult study, the book of Judges. And yes, we have the priesthood in the book of Judges. But look at them. Look at them. And remember, these men serve as shepherds. You see? They serve as shepherds. And they're the ones, the heavies from Jerusalem. They're supposed to be shepherding God's people. They're supposed to be shepherding Israel. But they're coming to attack the good shepherd. They've plotted With the Herodians, the religious establishment and the political establishment, they've plotted against the good shepherd, the son of the most high God, you see. And you might be listening, you're like, well, you know, that's the priest and I'm a new covenant believer. What about pastors? You think pastors are holy? You think pastors are holy? Nothing new under the sun. Leadership matters. On top of all this, we've, we just, we're just three verses so far. On top of all this, we also see God's mercy. We also see his mercy because of what God could do to the Pharisees. Because remember, they're absolutely guilty and misread the law. The so-called learned ones, the heavies, you know, they got the degrees and the certificates, but they're blind. They become fools. And yet in their marathon of life, remember, our, not too, we had to study the marathon. At this particular junction in Mark chapter 7, God is showing them mercy because of what he could do, but he doesn't do. Why? Because of the marathon, you see. And if you're wondering about this marathon, listen to our study. It's called the marathon. It's going to help you understand better. And so brother Mark here, when he records in the gospel of Mark, he tells us about the tradition of the elders, what the so-called learned ones have adhered themselves to. And we see this in verse four, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels and couches. Now, in the tradition of the elders, what these Pharisees are adhering to, you know, it's the tradition of the elders. And on top of that, they're making a spectacle out of themselves. They want to be the public spectacle so that people can see them as something special. You see, I'll give you an example. Take, for example, the Catholic Church. Take, for example, the Catholic Church. You see a priest. And the priest, he's got the garb, he's got the robe, he's got the scarf, and there's the procession of people with them. They have the incense, the smoke, and the the priest, he walks slowly. He raises up the cup. He speaks in Latin. Now, the average person might see that. They see the spectacle and think like, Oh my goodness, wow, they're so holy. They're so holy. Look at look at how he's dressed. Look, he does the Latin. Wow, look, he does the, everything nice and slow. Whoa, they're so holy. Surely he's with God. They do the Latin. Wow, so holy. But when you understand formula, when you understand formula and things contain Genesis to Revelation and everything in between, that's this, this, the holy recipe of righteousness. Where the average person could be like, wow, look, he's got the garb, he does the Latin, the smoke, they wave the the thing, you know. And it's like, whoa, this is so holy. He lifts up the, the, the cup and wow, this is so holy. That's what the average person thinks. But when you understand formula, you know, wow, this is a complete and total abomination. This is a complete and total abomination masquerading as something good. You see, and that's what these Pharisees are doing here in Mark chapter 7. That's what they're doing. They like being the spectacle. They do things. They make like a show of everything they're doing with, you know, as Brother Mark records with the cup, you know, their hands and then the cups and the pitchers and the copper vessels and the couches. They make everything a spectacle so that people can be like, wow, look, they're holy. They're so holy. The shepherds of Israel, look. They want to be considered something special. And so in verse 5, then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Now, it's almost laughable at this point, because when when, when we're in a situation where you and me together, we understand formula and the blueprints of righteousness as outlined in the word of God, it's almost laughable at this point. Such foolishness from the so-called learned ones. It's it's almost beyond foolishness. The the level of foolishness is off the charts because the entire frame of reference in these so-called heavies from Jerusalem, in the so-called learned ones from Jerusalem, in the so-called shepherds from Jerusalem, their entire frame of reference is off, way off, way off. And asking this question, why do your disciples not walk? according to the tradition of the elders and it's almost fo- like it's it's almost laughable the, the the level of foolishness because their entire it's it's way off and at the same time the people they submit some they submit themselves to such men you see they submit themselves to these so-called religious leaders and in verse 6, he answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites? Whoa. That's heavy. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites? Upocrites in the Greek. Upocrites. You know what that is? The Lord Jesus, our King, He's saying, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, actors? You see, they're faking it. They're faking it. Look at actors in Hollywood today. You see, they act and they play a part. They have a role in a movie. They have a role in the show and they play a part, but it's for money. It's for money. You see, you see like an actor and the actors in a drama in one movie and then in the next movie, the action and then the next one, like a musical or whatever, they're playing a part. They get paid. And that's what these Pharisees are doing here in Mark chapter seven, verse six. That's what these Pharisees are doing. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites? They're playing a part and it's for gain. You see, what's the gain? Accolades is one, but in the law, remember our studies in Torah, in the law, there are statutes where the priesthood, you know, the priesthood, they don't have a nine to five job like the regular people. You see, there are laws and we're in place where the religious leaders, the Levites, the Kohanim, they have provisions from sacrifice and offering, you see. Remember the, the 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 wicked sons of Eli treating the offerings and sacrifice of the Lord like you know people coming with their animals, but they were treating it like 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 waiters, you know, like oh you know what I, I don't want this kind of meat, you know, take this back and give me this other meat. I feel like eating, I feel like eating this other meat. And they were treating the people like 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 waiters, you know, like I'm gonna give you my order and you're gonna bring me what I wanna eat. You see? And they were wicked. Where are they now? The Lord killed them. You see? And we see how in the law there are provisions, you know, that the, the, the priesthood, they they do have provisions from the sacrifice and offering of the people. And we see and we know that the law is good. You see? But at the same time, if there was adherence to Moses, adherence to the law, to the law, the Pharisees, they wouldn't dare ask this question. They would not dare ask this question. They would be bowing down to Jesus, they would be worshiping him. If the formula was right, according to the law, if the formula was right in them, they would be worshiping Jesus. Notice, they like the goodies. They like the goodies afforded them in the law, you see. Because remember, the law, you know, they have their provisions and portions and they love it. But to place tradition of elders over the law, you see. Over the law? Because what is written, they're following the tradition of the elders. They're not following the tradition of Torah. The tradition of law. The tradition of Moses. They're not following that. They're following the tradition of the elders. Now, the tradition of the elders under Joshua, praise be to the Lord. There's, They're not going to deviate away from what Torah says. But submission to the elders in the era of Samuel? No way. Why? Because those are the elders that have deviated away from Torah. They've deviated away from Moses. And they have forsaken the Lord and become idolatrous. Remember our study in 1 Samuel? You see? Very important to understand. what, What these Pharisees are doing here in Mark 7, they're placing the tradition of the elders... Over the law they're honoring men more than God and they know exactly what God did to the priest Eli and his wicked sons you see and their hypocrisy it's off the charts It's off the charts and Jesus here in chapter 7. He doesn't just cite Isaiah He says well did Isaiah prophesy and that's unusual That's unusual Let's say, for example, you're a biochemist, a biochemist, and you create a brand new doohickey. You know, you're a biochemist and you have this doohickey that you made. And then I come along and number one, I'm definitely not a biochemist. But let's say, for example, you are and I'm not. And then I come along and say, hey, good job. Good job. It would be rather odd for me to say that because who am I? Who am I? I don't even, I don't even know anything about biochemistry. I don't know about your, your doohickey and what it does and what it's for. I don't know anything about it. And then I say, oh, you know, good job. It's like, well, who am I? I don't have certain qualifications. But then let's say, for example, I do have the qualifications. And what if my qualifications excel beyond yours? And then I see your doohickey and I say, hey, good job. You see, it, kind of, it takes new meaning. It's like, well, you know, like this guy's telling me I did a good job. Wow. You know, it, it, my my doohickey, it's really nice. Wow. And then this guy's, this guy's acknowledging it and saying that it's a good job. Like, wow. Because, you know, on one side, and one example, I'm not a biochemist. I don't know anything about biochemistry. And I say, hey, good job. It's like, well, who is this guy? But then what if I'm like the, the best biochemist in the world, you know, and renowned? And then I say, hey, good job. And you're like, whoa. Well, you know, I made this to Hickey, and he sees it and like, wow, you know, it it takes on something different. Now, with Isaiah, Jesus doesn't just say, Hey, Isaiah said this. He doesn't say that. He says, Well did Isaiah prophesy. And this puts Jesus in a whole new stratosphere. A whole new stratosphere. You see? Deep, deep, deep intimacy with God. Remember, we haven't seen it yet, but in future chapters Jesus, he's going to reveal, I and my Father are one. You see? And that's why people they were wondering at the, you know, at this moment and you know, it, it, even later in the gospel and even still today, people wonder, is he a prophet? And people conclude oh, he's a prophet. Oh, he's Elijah. Remember, uh, 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 with John the Baptist, and you know the uh, Herod. He thought Elijah. He thought Jesus was Elijah. You see, and then some people, no, he's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. You see, people were wondering, and all these miracles are happening. People are being healed, and people are wondering. Oh, is he a prophet or is he the Son of God? Oh, he's Elijah. You see, and so last week when Herod, you know, he thought Jesus was. John the Baptist back to life. And yes, chapter 6 was a painful chapter when we see the account of beautiful, beautiful John being beheaded. But at the same time, how what a beautiful compliment. How beautiful it is to see this, this compliment for brother John to have such intimacy with God. Such intimacy with God. The kind that's off the charts to where Herod would even think that Jesus is John the Baptist brought back to life. That's that's beautiful. And so Jesus to the Pharisees, you know, he says, "Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you, hypocrites?" You see, he answers their quiz, quest, their, the question that they have for him from verse five. He answers it with an indictment, indictment, calling them, "Hey, you guys are hypocrites." And he continues. He says, "As it is written." This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Whoa. Whoa. And that's what hypocrites do. It's lip service. That's all it is, lip service. Yes, they speak words that seem good. They speak words that seem holy and righteous, but their heart, wrong formula. Wrong formula. It's just like today. I mean, we see the, the, the religious establishment here in Mark 7, and you see the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and it's like, whoa, well, you know, and Jesus says, you know, uh, uh, well, did Isaiah prophesy about you, hypocrites? These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And you say, oh, that, this is just, you know, the, this, this is for 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. No, it still happens today. This still happens today where a pastor can give a sermon. It seems nice and holy. It seems nice and holy. Speaking Christianese, too. But then the pastor goes home and does his vodka and his whiskey. He goes to the prostitutes in another town. He goes gambling at the casinos, has a little Buddha on his dashboard. Several at home, you see. And the whole time the people, oh, look, what a nice pastor we have. What a great sermon he gave. I really like this church where thousands gather together and we worship the Lord. And then after church, we can have this nice little picnic and then we can go grave soaking. What a nice little church we have. Everything seems fine and dandy to the masses. But the remnant, the remnant, the remnant understands. Why? Because the remnant knows formula. You see, very important to understand because the Bible does say, yes, it's a good thing to submit to the pastor. But the Bible also tells us which pastor, what to look for in the pastor. You see? The pastor who wants to go grave soaking. Where you and me, we, could, we understand. It's like, wait a second, the pastor wants to go grave soaking? That's the wrong covering. I don't want that covering for me, my family. That pastor's a hypocrite. In addition to even more bad things. Nothing new under the sun. We read this account in Mark 7 where Jesus is calling them hypocrites. Remember, these are the shepherds of Israel. The shepherds of Israel. Very interesting how he speaks to the disciples and even the multitudes. But then how he speaks to the shepherds. You see? To whom is given, much more is required. And then we see how Jesus speaks to... Kids, we see how he speaks to you know. Remember the uh, 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 when when uh, um, when Jesus was almost like laughing at, at, at uh, 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 Philip, like you know, or at Nathaniel and Philip, like you know, when Nathaniel says, you know, surely you are the Messiah, or you are the Messiah, and Jesus said, because I said I saw you under the fig tree, and you believe because of that, you're going to see much more. And here we are in chapter seven, and surely we've seen much more. But then how Jesus speaks to those who are supposedly in the know, the ones who were tasked to be shepherds. Nothing new under the sun. Hypocrites have been around for many, many moons. Nothing new under the sun. And how Jesus speaks to different groups of people. Remember, he he came, he was speaking openly, but then he starts to speak in parables. And we start to see how truth is withheld. But then we also understand why truth is withheld. Look at the beautiful hearts. Look at how the woman at the well. Remember in our previous studies, we reference referenced the, 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 uh, uh, what, uh, Brother John's account. The woman at the well, you know, boom, she believes. But then you look at these religious leaders, the the, the religious establishment, the scribes, the Pharisees, and they don't believe. In fact, they're using their knowledge to try and trap Jesus. And Jesus says, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you? You guys are hypocrites. And he says this in verse 7, and in vain they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And Jesus, remember, don't forget, Jesus says, well did uh, well did Isaiah prophesy about you. And we see that in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men in verse 7. But look what the Pharisees are doing. Look what they're doing. Remember, they are they are tasked in the law. In the law, they are tasked to shepherd Israel to the Lord. So that the people can be clean before the Lord. So that the people can be pure before the Lord. Remember, our, if you've been walking with us for a while, remember our study? The whole purpose is so that people can be right with the Lord. You see? And look what these Pharisees are doing. They're cherry picking. They're misapplying the law and have added to the law by holding the tradition and commands of the elders. Not Moses, not Torah the tradition and the commands of the elders as doctrine as doctrine. Look what the pastors and denominations today hold as doctrine when it's not even in the Bible, not even in the Bible. And you have these teachers and pastors and they hold it as doctrine. It's like, well, wait a second, show me, show me in the Bible where it says to go grave soaking. That that's a good thing. Show me in the Bible where it says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Show me in the Bible where it says, God is all done with Israel. You see these pastors and teachers, look at what they've become. Hypocrites. Hypocrites. And Jesus says in verse seven, for these so-called shepherds, they, the people acknowledge them as shepherds. But look what the good shepherd says to them in verse 7. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Something that's not even in Torah. Something that Moses never even spoke about or wrote about. And these religious leaders, they're teaching it as doctrine? That that is what is Right? You see? And both Testaments reveal. Yeah, there's worship of God, all right. But it's in vain. We see it in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament, and it's still today. There's worship of God. Look at verse 7 In vain they worship me. You see, okay, there's worship. They worship the Lord and people think like, oh, wow, that's a good thing. Worship the Lord. That's a good thing. And yes, it's a good thing when the formula is right. But when the formula is wrong, yeah, they worship the Lord, but it's in vain. Remember when Paul would write his letters to the churches, you know, did did I do this in vain? Did you believe in vain? Was it all for nothing? And a lot of times, Christians, we start to think like, wow, you know, I'm going to go worship the Lord. I'm going to go worship the Lord. That's a good thing. And yes, worship of the Lord is a beautiful thing. But the formula must be right. Isaiah testifies. Paul testifies. Peter testifies. James testifies. Why? Because they serve the Lord. And the Lord is speaking of it right here. In vain they worship me in verse 7. Because they have these doctrines. They're teaching these things as doctrines, but it has nothing to do with the Bible. Moses never spoke about that. Moses never wrote about that. You see? And they're taking these doctrines that are from men. The tradition of the elders, instead of the tradition of Moses, instead of the tradition of the law, instead of the tradition of torah and i'm not advocating the law in any way shape or form but understand the law is still holy but the law is a tutor you see and it brings to christ Was worship of the lord yes we see in verse 7 in vain they worship me there is worship of the lord but it's for nothing it's in vain a heavy heavy indictment on leadership the religious leaders 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years, and on leadership today, pastors and teachers. Because a lot of believers today, they cling to Hebrews 10, you know, do not forsake the assembly of the saints. And that's a very beautiful verse. And it's very true. But the formula has to be right, you see? Because we know that it's possible to worship the Lord in vain. And I don't want any of us to worship the Lord in vain. The formula must be right in you and me. So that when we worship the Lord, it is not in vain. You see? And so many Christians today, oh, do not forsake the assembly of the saints. But what happens when saints are the ones who have forsaken the Lord? You see? By various means it happens. But remember, leadership matters. Doctrine matters. Holiness matters. Just as Isaiah says, well, and Jesus also says, yeah, they worship the Lord. Yeah, they worship God. But there's no point. It's all in vain. That's hardcore, that's major. And Paul asks his questions when he, when he writes to the when he writes to the, to the churches in the epistles you know did, did I labor for you in vain did you believe in vain was it all for nothing and Jesus continues in verse 8 for laying aside the commandment of god You hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do and notice instead of taking the traditions of men and tossing those in the trash, you take the traditions So, you you know, the elders like it. When we do this, the elders like it would do when we do this, the elders like this, the elders like that. Well, where is it in Torah? Where is it found that Moses said or wrote of these things? Well, it's not in Torah Moses didn't. Okay. So we take these traditions and we say, bye-bye, toss it in the trash. But instead of doing that, these hypocrites, the religious leaders, the so-called shepherds, the ones who in the law are tasked with shepherding God's people into holiness. Israel is supposed to be clean because of these religious leaders. Israel is supposed to be pure because of these religious leaders as established in the law. But that's not happening. Why? Why? They become defunct. They become hypocrites. The Lord has become forgotten. They have forsaken the Lord. Nothing new under the sun. It's exactly what we see in the book of judges. It's exactly what we see. in for Samuel, you see, it's exactly what we see today. Pastors forsaken the Lord. Elders forsaken the Lord cannot submit to such wickedness. You cannot submit to, oh, but the Bible says I got to submit to the pastor. The Bible says, yes. But the Bible shows us which ones. Which ones to watch out for in terms of, you know, it's safe to submit to that guy. And the other, you know, the ones to look out for as, you know, don't come to that guy with a 10-foot pole. The ones that the Bible warns us about. And instead of taking the traditions of men and tossing them in the trash. What the hypocrites do, they take the things of the Lord, the commands of the Lord, and they lay that aside. Whoa. And they're trying to trap Jesus? They find fault in Jesus? Look at them. They're guilty. They're way guilty. And in verse 9, he said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. You see, notice what they're skilled at. Notice what these religious leaders are skilled at. Instead of being skilled in the word, they're skilled at rejecting the word. In verse 9, Jesus says, All too well, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. They're skilled at rejecting the word of God for the sake of their tradition. Remember, this is the, the Levitical priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, a very specific lineage, very specific families. And so what that means, being skilled at rejecting the word, where did it come from? Passed down generation to generation to generation. You know what that means? Not just the in academia and what they learned, but mama and papa. Grandma and grandpa, auntie and uncle, you see? This family lineage as outlined in the law, the the Levites, you see? Families that we see in these Levitical priesthood, you see? Nice, caring family. And we see how poison has been passed down from generation to generation to generation and Israel has become infected. This is the priesthood. Remember, Judges? I mean, you see how Israel, I mean, even in 1 Samuel, you see when Samuel, he's brokenhearted and the Lord assures him and gives him comfort. Like, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They've rejected me. You see? How is it that Israel can reject the Lord? When you have the priesthood, you have the Levites, you have Kohanim, and yet the Lord has become forgotten. How does that happen? Well, you remember our study in the book of Judges, it happens through idolatry, which leads even further. You see, it's apostasy in Israel. And people say, well, that's Israel. I'm a new covenant believer. Well, listen, remember what what Paul says, that the things of old were written for us, for our admonition. You think apostasy can't happen in the church? No, it is prophesied. Apostasy will happen to the church. And you know what? It is happening to the church. And the Lord, he reveals to us, Old Testament, New Testament, how it happens. We see it here 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years, in Mark chapter 7. We see exactly how it happens. Remember in chapter 6, all the people in chapter 6, last week, the multitudes, all these multitudes come to Jesus. Jesus. And yet we see how Jesus, he has compassion on them. He has compassion on them. Why? Because when he sees them, he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. Israel has become defiled. And the very... Walls that were supposed to keep them pure. Speaking of the priesthood, the very shepherds that were supposed to keep them pure so that Israel can be clean and pure before the Lord. Remember Leviticus, nothing mangy, nothing mangy. Remember? And all these multitudes coming to Jesus, but they're defiled because of the priesthood. And he has compassion on them because he sees them and knows: wow, these are like sheep without a shepherd. Just like Judges. Just like Judges. We have a a plethora of priests and Judges. A plethora of Levites. A plethora of Kohanim. Absolutely. But look at them. Look at them. Where in the world is Abodah Abodah Mishkan? Where is it today? And if you're listening, you're like, what? What is this guy talking about? Go back and listen to our study to the book of Leviticus. You'll understand. Abodah Abodah Mishkan? You'll understand. And in verse 10, look what Jesus says. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. You see, now what Jesus does is he, he shows the contrast between what Moses says and what the hypocrite Pharisees say. In verse 11, but you say. See, verse 10, for Moses says, but then in verse 11, but you say. And the Lord, he's showing this contrast between the The Pharisees, the the hypocritical Pharisees, and what Moses says in verse eleven. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is a gift from a gift to God. So let's look at this as a situation. Let's just take a look at this. So mom and dad have a financial need now. Nowadays, you know, most countries have government social programs. In America, we have. Social security, Medicare, housing and food allowances. And I don't mention these things as good. You know, it only highlights the, 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 how, how far nations have fallen. Now I'm not saying this is a good thing, but back in the day, back in the day, they didn't have these kinds of social programs, the social programs. They were the kids, you see the social programs. They were like, you know, the, 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 the parents would get old, can't work, you know, and you know, mom and dad get old, dad can't work. Say, Hey pops, don't worry. I'll support you. That's how it was back in the day. Now we got all these social programs. And I'm not not saying that's a good thing. The social programs, you know, it only highlights how far we've fallen. So, you know, mom and dad are are hard hard up for cash flow. Back in the day, hey, Pops, here's a thousand bucks. Don't worry about money. Here's some money for groceries. Here's some rent money. You see? Don't worry about it, Pops. I got you. That's how it was back in the day. And so the Pharisees, what they were doing, they were teaching as doctrine, as doctrine. What they were teaching, they were teaching as doctrine something that was contrary to Moses, you see. And what the Pharisees were doing, they say, uh, 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 you know, mom and dad, you need an extra thousand bucks for housing and food. And, you know, the, the priest, the priest told me to give it to God instead of, you know, you know, make an offering to God instead of giving it to you. Instead of helping you, you know, mom and dad, you're, you're hard up for cash flow. You're starving, you know, here's a thousand dollars. But instead of giving it to you, I'm going to go, you know, make an offering at temple at synagogue, I'm going to, I'm going to give it to the Lord. And that's what these Pharisees were doing. And they were teaching it as doctrine. And when the Lord makes this contrast with Moses, Moses never said that. Torah never said that never teaches it, but yet along the way it got picked up by the elders and it got picked up by the elders and it got passed down from generation to generation among the elders it got passed down from generation to generation it got taught by the pharisees and continued to be taught by the pharisees and here we are in you know, 2000 years ago give or take a couple years and the pharisees they're trying to trap Jesus in their hypocrisy they're trying to trap Jesus in what they hold as doctrine But it's a lie. It was never in Torah. You see. On top of that. They've become apostate. They've become apostate. Because they're teaching the tradition of men. As doctrine. You see. That's heavy. That's a big deal. So. Mom and dad need cash flow. They got to pay rent, got to pay for, uh, uh, get some groceries. And instead of helping mom and dad, the priests are saying, hey, you know, take that thousand dollars and give it to God instead and make an offering. You see, don't forget, according to the law, the priests, they get a portion of the offering. You see. What the Pharisees are doing is they're looking out for themselves. They're looking out for their wallets. That's heavy and the Lord knows Jesus, our King, he knows, he knows all about it. He knows everything that they're trying to, he knows their motives. He knows what they're trying to do. And in verse 12, you know, in verse 11, he says, but you know, in verse 10, Moses says, honor your father and mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death in verse 11. But you say, if a man says to his father, whatever prophet you might have received from me is korban." You see, Hey, it's not for you. It's for the Lord. You see, and in verse 12, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother. The Pharisees tell the people, that's it. That's it. Mom and dad are hard up for cash flow. Dad's old. He can't work anymore. And, you know, they didn't money for rent and groceries. And you have this thousand dollars that you were going to give to them to help them. And the Pharisees in their tradition of the elders that they put over the law of Moses over Torah, the Pharisees, they tell the people, Hey, take that thousand dollars and give it to the, give it to the synagogue, donate it to the synagogue, make a tie to the synagogue, make an offering at the synagogue. And that's it. You fulfilled what Moses says. That's what the Pharisees were doing in their hypocrisy. You fulfilled the law of Moses. By taking the $1,000 that was intended for mom and dad and by giving it to to God instead, you fulfill what Moses says. That's what the Pharisees were teaching as doctrine. As doctrine. Have a nice day. Arrivederci. And where's my paycheck? That's what the Pharisees wanted. They wanted money because they know you give money to the synagogue. Okay, where's my paycheck? You see? They were patting their wallets. By doing this, look what Jesus tells them in verse 13. Making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down and many such things you do. That's heavy. That's heavy. Look what Jesus is telling them. Look what our Lord is telling. The word which has become flesh, Jesus, our King, our Lord, our Savior, our everything. He tells them, you're making the word of God of no effect. And he reveals to us that it is entirely possible for the word of God to have no effect. Whoa. And look who it's done by. Look who it's done by. It's done by the men who have the appearance. They love to have this appearance of something holy. Oh, look at me. Look at me. Oh, look how we wash our hands. We wash the vessels. Oh, look at this. We look at our social media where we're washing our hands. Look how holy we are. You see, the hypocrites, they wanted to be considered something special. They wanted to be seen as something holy. And these are the so-called shepherds. Israel is supposed to be clean and pure by these guys they have the appearance of something holy they do teach the word but the word has no effect no effect why wrong formula wrong formula just like just like judges just like Judges, it's like you read it's like how, how is it that the Lord has become forgotten in the book of Judges? Why? How is it we got the priests? We got Kohanim. We got all these priests, but where in the world is Abodah Abodah Mishkan? Listen to our study in Leviticus, you'll understand what that means. You say, "Well, this is you know two thousand years ago. This is the this is you know not for today. I'm a New Covenant believer." Look at the landscape of what we see today. Look at the landscape. 2023 AD. Churches, pastors, teachers. The word. And vanity. No effect. No effect. You see? It is entirely possible for the word of God to be of no effect. Old Testament, New Testament, and still today. Why does it happen? Wrong formula. You see? Vanity. It's all vanity. And it's all in vain. The word of God of no effect. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. Now you understand why Jesus looks at the multitude and he has compassion on them. Multitudes and multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of people. It's like wow, they have they're like sheep with no shepherd. No shepherd. You say, How can there be no shepherd? They got the Levites over here, they got the Pharisees, the scribes, the, the Sadducees. Yeah, they do. A plethora of Pharisees, but look at them. Look at them, they've corrupt corrupted themselves through false doctrine false doctrine, because they were holding these doctrines that weren't, they're not even in Scripture, they're not even in the Bible. Moses never wrote that. Moses never said that. Torah doesn't teach that. And yet they're taking this doctrine and saying, yep, this is what Torah says. This is what the prophets say. When it's not even in the Bible. It's still happening today. People teach as doctrine. Oh yeah, this is what the Bible says. This is how you have to live your life. It's not even in the Bible. You see? You take the average person in the Mark 7 era. Mark chapter 7. You take the average person in that era submitting themselves to the Pharisees. Submitting themselves to those shepherds called Pharisees. And the average person, they think they're pleasing God. The person thinks they honor the Lord. The person thinks they're following the teachings of Moses. The person thinks they're clean and right in the eyes of the Lord when the entire time it's the priesthood that has supplanted the word of God. You know what that means? It means the people are not right with the Lord. That's a big deal. That's huge. And you got these heavies from Jerusalem, the Pharisees. They want to talk about the dirty hands of the disciples, the so-called learned class. They want to come to Jesus and find fault with the disciples and thus finding fault with Jesus. They can't even see they're blind. The word of God, the word, which we know became flesh is of no effect when the sword, which is the word, is yielded by teachers in whom the holy formula is wrong. You see, that's why we stress formula. Yes, the formula in you and me, it's got to be right as believers in Christ. But the teachers and pastors, that formula Better be right. And the word of God teaches us what to look for. The word of God shows us what to look for. That guy, you know, don't touch him with a 10-foot pole. Don't touch him with a 100-foot pole. This other guy over here, the formula is right. It is safe to submit to him. The Bible teaches us. You see? Very important to understand that it is very possible for the Word of God to have no effect. And it happens when the Word is taught by the hypocrite. You see, remember Nazareth? A couple chapters ago, remember Nazareth? No mighty works in Nazareth. Remember Shiloh, where the Word of God was rare in Shiloh? And we see it is written. In vain they worship the Lord. Worship of the Lord. You think people say, "Oh, worship the Lord. It's a good thing. Worship the Lord. It's a good thing." Yes, it's a beautiful thing, but the formula has to be right. Why do you think Paul had such beef with in in Corinth? You see, they gather a nice church gathering. Just like the Bible says, you know, do not forsake the the fellowship of the saints, just as the Bible says in Hebrews. And then you look at Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It's like, well, wait a second. Like the Bible says, you know, don't forsake the assembly of the saints. And yet Paul is forsaking the assembly of the saints. And it looks like a contradiction. It looks like a contradiction. It looks like Paul is going against the Bible because he's forsaking the assembly of the saints. It looks like he's going against the Bible, but when you understand formula, you know that Paul isn't against the Word of God at all. You know that Paul is a faithful servant. And when you understand that, you start to realize oh my goodness, what's wrong in Corinth? Then you look further. And you see the sex, you see the the alcohol, you see extortion, you see the works of the flesh, you see the leaven. Uncorrected for three years, uncorrected. You see the leaven. And that's why Paul says, hey, you guys, you're rejoicing. It is not a good thing. You come, you gather together, you, you know, speak Christianese, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Well, listen, there's a disconnect. The formula is wrong. But we, have worship, we worship the Lord We worship the Lord. Listen, worshiping the Lord is a beautiful thing. It is a good thing. But the formula must be right. And when it is wrong, it is vanity. It becomes vain. It becomes vain. And those pastors, when they teach, the Word of God is of no effect. You see? The pastor, the teacher that you choose to submit to, it matters big time, big time. If wrong, the word has no effect. You see, people go to their pastor and say, hey pastor, why don't we see the moving and the power and gifts of the spirit like we see in the book of Acts? And it's the charlatan that says, oh, that was for another dispensation. And we conclude that because we don't see the power and the moving and the gifts of the, the Holy Spirit like we see in the book of Acts. That's what we make. We make this conclusion. And it's the charlatan that believes the charlatan. And it's both that fall into a ditch. You see? The word of God of no effect. And people wonder, well, why, why, why don't we see this like we see in the book of Acts? And it poses these questions. I mean, why don't we see this like the book of the Acts? Okay, why, why don't you? Why don't we see it widespread? Why don't we see it widespread all over? Why? Wrong formula. Worship of the Lord in vain. What's the point? What's the point? The formula has to be Right? But I just do what my pastor says. Okay, that's a problem. Because the pastor says it was for another dispensation. You see? The word of God of no effect. The very thing that we see our Lord teach in Mark chapter 7 is the very thing that saints today have forgotten. You see? We're living in a time where we can... we can understand things better a little bit better why because we're seeing the effectuation of certain things found in the word of god remember our study in deuteronomy 28 the blessings of obedience and the curses of disobedience we live in a time where we're starting to see the effectuation of those things and even on the bad side and the curses. I mean, when you read the prophecies of the, the last days and revelation and what, what, the, what, the, what the prophets wrote of and even the apostles, what they wrote of. And when you understand the prophecies and you see the prophecies and then you look at the curses for disobedience, it's, it's, it, it should be of no surprise. You know why? Because the Lord, he's just doing what he said he would do. That's it. He's just doing what he said he would do. Very important to understand. And so let's say, for example, you and me, let's say we're Pharisees. Let's say you and me, we're Pharisees. And let's get in my time machine and let's go to the era of Mark chapter 7. And we're not just Pharisees from Nazareth. We're not just Pharisees from Galilee. Say we're part of the heavies from Jerusalem. You see, and there's some weight with our stock. And let's say you and me were there in, in, in Mark seven. We are there and we're hearing Jesus speak and we're hearing Jesus say these things and his words go into our earholes, And from there, something happens. Something happens. Remember our prior studies in the previous chapters in the book of Mark. We know how seed doesn't penetrate the heart. It's something we've read in our prior chapters in Mark, but let's not forget, let's not forget the prophet Isaiah also says, thus saith the Lord, come, let us reason together. And so for you and me, we've gotten my, my time machine. We're back in time. We're the Pharisees and, you know, the heavies from Jerusalem and our hearts are hard, but they're not stone. They're not stone. And so you and me, we go to the side and we have a little discussion. We don't want to be seen by the, you know, we don't want to be seen by our colleagues because they might say, oh, look, they're soft, you know. So we, we go to the side a little bit. And then I ask you a question. I say, you know, when this man spoke of the tradition of the elders, speaking of Jesus, you know, he, he spoke about the tradition of the elders. And I tell you, you know what? He's right. He's right The traditions that we hold They're not taught by Moses They're not in Torah And then you look at me and you say I know I was thinking the same thing He's right They're not in Torah The the traditions that we hold They're not taught by Moses And then you say to me But you know what my family My family holds on tightly to these traditions. They've been handed down by great grandpappy and his great grandpappy since forever. And then I tell you, you know what? It's the same with me. This tradition has been handed down generation to generation. And then you ask me, you say, I know we have our families and they certainly taught us things, you know, mom, dad, uncles, grandparents. But then you ask me a question, you say, but aren't we supposed to follow Torah and Moses? You see, aren't we supposed to follow what Torah says? And then I tell you, you know what? We are. We absolutely are. Look what happened to Korah. Look what happened to Korah and those who submitted to his teachings. And the whole time they thought that they were doing good and being right in their tradition. And look, they're dead. Women, children, husbands, wives in submission to Korah, dead. And in this example, you and me as Pharisees from Jerusalem, the heavies, in this example, you and me, we come to the sobering conclusion. That you and me are in the wrong. You see? Because it's true. We're supposed to heed Moses. We're supposed to heed Torah. And you and me are in the wrong. Does this mean our family hates us? Does this mean our family hates us because they didn't teach us right? Not at all. What it means is that they are also in the wrong. And being wrong and staying in the wrong means that they have no compass. And if they have no compass while in the wrong, it means that they are lost. And if they are lost, we cannot expect them to teach us what is right. You see? We need to yield to what is right, true, and holy. We need to yield to Jesus. You see? Head of the better family, and it's the family of heaven. And sometimes I have this conversation with non-believers and believers of various doctrine. Oh, but my my mom gave my mom taught me like this. Oh, my dad taught me like this. You know, great grandpappy taught me like this. Are you saying that they hate me? Not at all. Not at all. But if their form of doctrine does not align with scripture, it only means that they're lost. And you and me, we have to yield and submit ourselves to Jesus Christ, the word of God, and the word became flesh. We have to submit ourselves to him. You see? And that is the better family of faith. It doesn't mean that mom hates you. It doesn't mean that great grandpappy hates you. It doesn't mean that at all. But it only highlights the love of our Father in heaven. Hallowed be his name. He's the one who made the way. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. If you're listening, you're not a believer. Or if you're listening, you are a believer. And you know what? You're starting to realize like, oh my goodness, my pastor's crazy. Oh my goodness, the guy that I have chosen to be my teacher, he's straight up crazy town. And I don't want the word of God to have no effect in my life and in my home for my family. If that's you, you're starting to realize believer, non believer alike come to Jesus. You hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And if you say, wait a second, I'm a Christian, listen, hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ, and you recommit your life to Christ. You cannot submit to the fool. You cannot submit to the charlatan because I don't want the word of God to be of no effect in any of us. You see? Very important to understand what the word of God teaches. And sometimes parents get very mad at me. Very, very mad at me. You're breaking up my family. Because kids, you know, sometimes kids ask, you know what? You know, I know the Bible says this, but mom and dad do something different. Does that mean mom and dad are, you know, do they hate me? No, it doesn't. It just means that they're lost. It just—I mean, not just, it just means that they're lost, and you know that, that, thats it. No, that's a big deal. But it means that they're lost. It means that they don't have a compass, and if they don't have a compass, and they're not guiding you well, for uh, like to, to have these conversations with teenagers who can kind of grasp these ideas, and the teenager is to say, "Hey, look, we have to submit to Jesus Christ. We have to submit ourselves and yield to what the Word of God teaches," and the parents get mad. You're breaking up my family. That's what they say. You're breaking up my family. Listen, no. Jesus does that. Jesus does that. Because in Matthew 10, Jesus says, For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Jesus says, I have come to do exactly that. People say, oh, you're breaking up my family. You're breaking up my... No, Jesus says he does. he does that. In Matthew 10. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And the man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Listen, you know, parents, parents getting mad. You know, you're breaking up my family. My kids are supposed to honor me. The Bible says the, the, the kids are supposed to honor me. Listen, it's very true. very true but honor given to parent if you're a parent and you're listening honor given to you it's never above Jesus never ever 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 above Jesus kids are supposed to honor you but it's never above Jesus when it's above Jesus that's of Lucifer you see when it's above Jesus That is of Lucifer. And if you're a parent, you're listening, and that's you, repent. Repent. Repent, repent, repent. Because that's evil. Repent. You see? You say, I never knew. I never knew. Well, now you know. But my pastor told me otherwise. Well, now you know. That pastor's a fool. You see? No no, effectuate the word of God of no effect with that fool. You see? And a lot of time parents get very, very mad. You're breaking up my home. The kids are supposed to honor me. Listen, honor to the parent is never above honor given to the Lord. Never, never, never. When it is, that's of Satan. You see, a parent says to the son, Hey, son, take out the trash. The kids, okay, pops. Hey, honor to the parent. Okay, pops, I'll take out the trash. You see, mom leaves her purse on the chair. The son, you know, doesn't sneak up and, you know, take a $20 bill. That's death. You know, that's that's dishonor to the parents. A son doesn't do that in order to honor the parents. In submission to Jesus Christ, honoring the parent. You see, these are ways a child honors the parents. But then the dad says, hey, son, here's a $100 bill. Go to the corner and buy me some crack. You know what the son says? No, pops. That's not happening. I love you. But i love jesus and i honor him more than you you see the son in these examples in these examples the son honors the parents yes absolutely he honors jesus more you see the dad says hey take out the take out the trash okay pops no problem take out the trash son isn't stealing 50 bucks from the purse but then the dad says, hey, go, my, go, go get me some crack. Sorry, not happening, pops. I love you, but that's not happening. You know why, pops? Because I love the Lord. I love you, but I love the Lord. I love Jesus, and I honor him way more than you. You see? I'll, I'll go get you a cup of coffee. You, go, you want a cup of coffee? I'll, I'll make you a cup of coffee. You, you, you want a you hamburger? I'll go to the corner and get you a hamburger from the, the, the burger shop. You know, yeah, no problem. But the crack, not happening. You see? And in these examples, the son is honoring the parents. He's honoring Jesus way more. But then on top of that, there's division in the same household. It's everything Jesus says, it's fulfilled. You see? Very important to understand. And let's say, for example, the parent says, Hey, kids, you know, we're going to have Joyce Meyer as our pastor. And we're going to submit to her. And she's going to be the covering for our home and conduct in life. Wrong formula. The word of God of no effect. And parents get mad. What do you mean the word of God of no effect? You know, I feel good when I, when I hear the message. I feel good when I hear her speak. I feel good and all these things. Listen, that's like a therapy session. That's like going to a therapist. It's not going to last. It might last for a week. It might last for two weeks. It's not going to last to the very end. It's not going to last a lifetime. Why? Pep talk. That's all it is. Pep talk. No power. No power. No effectuation. What happens is parents willfully forget what Jesus speaks of, and that's the millstone. Very important to understand. If you're a parent and you're listening and you're realizing, like, you know, oh my goodness, you know, I I, I like Joyce Meyer. Oh my goodness, you know, Joyce Meyer, go to Joyce Meyer's church. Listen, repent, flee that church. Flee wrong formula, parents. Listen, oh, you know, look, I like Joe Osteen. You know, I have Joe Osteen for my whole family. I got Joe Osteen posters all over my house. Listen, repent, get rid of that garbage. The formula has to be right. Look at what is happening in Israel. Look at the heavies from Jerusalem, so called shepherds, according to the law tasked by the law to shepherd israel so that israel can be right before the lord so that israel can be clean so that israel can be pure before the lord nothing mangy and what has happened in israel you see very important to understand the Old Testament interpreting the new, the new interpreting the old, and with that, Genesis to Revelation and everything in between, understanding covenants. What do we get? We get the full counsel of the Word of God, and the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh, but of no effect when the formula is wrong. You see? Just like Shiloh, no widespread revelation. Just like Nazareth, no mighty works. You see? The famine of the word of God. You say, wait a second, we got Bibles everywhere. Yeah, famine of the word of God of no effect. You see? And so here we are in Mark chapter 7, and you have the heavies from Jerusalem. They've come to trap Jesus. And what should happen, if they were truly Pharisees, if they were truly Levites, according to the teachings and the law of Moses, the Torah, if they truly were, they should repent. They should repent. And then according to the teachings of the prophets, what we see is that they're without excuse. They are without excuse. Now, picture this scene here in Mark chapter 7. Picture this scene where nobody corrects the Pharisees. You see, because the Pharisees—they're the ones who are in the know. They have the academic accolades. They got the certificates. They got the degrees. They got on their walls have all kinds of different degrees. They're the ones that are in the know, and that's just the—that's just the regular Pharisees. You know, that—that's that, just the Pharisees from Nazareth. But the heavies from Jerusalem? No, that's that's beyond unheard of. And so the heavies from Jerusalem come and they ask Jesus, why do your your disciples not wash their hands? And Jesus, instead of answering directly, instead he points to their hypocrisy. And then, you know, when Jesus does answer, he answers publicly for all to hear. So picture that. Say we're in the crowd there. We're not with the Pharisees, but we're in the crowd and we see on one side, we see Jesus. On the other side, we see the Pharisees and the Pharisees, the heavies Like nobody messes with these guys and the heavies come from Jerusalem and they ask Jesus a question and Jesus doesn't answer them directly. He answers them and says, Hey, you guys are hypocrites. You see? And then he, he speaks to everybody in answering them. He speaks to everybody. He speaks to you and me. We're in the multitude. He speaks to all of us in verse 14. We see when he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear me, everyone and understand there is nothing that enters a man from outside, which can defile him. Now, remember the heavies from Jerusalem are there. Nobody messes with these guys. Nobody, I mean, nobody messes with the Pharisees from, from Nazareth or nobody messes with the Pharisees from, 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 from Galilee, but from Jerusalem, that's like, that's even extra. Don't mess with these guys. These are the hypocrites. They want to be seen as holy. Look at us. Look at us. Nothing dirty enters our body. Look how we extensively wash our hands. You can see how clean we are. Oh, look at me. Look at me. Look at our social media. Look at my social media. You know, uh, washing my hands. Look how holy I am. Look how awesome I am. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Fools. And then picture the crowd. On one side, they had the heavies with their tradition. Tradition that's not even in the Bible. Tradition that has been been passed down from grandpappy to grandpappy to grandpappy to grandpappy across multiple generation, generation to generation. You hit the rewind button. You know, was it in this generation? Was it here in this generation? You hit the rewind button. Did it happen here? Did it happen here? Did it happen here? Did it happen here? Who knows when it crept in? The fact of the matter is it crept in. You see? it crept in and they were teaching it as doctrine oh this is what torah teaches this is what moses taught show me show me where where is this in torah where is this in the bible and they were teaching it as if it were in the bible in torah and so you have the crowd and one side they have the heavies and then, you know, the, the traditions that they have been influenced into, the people, they bought into it. Supposing it to be good, after all, remember, this is the religious establishment. How could they be wrong? Nobody messes with the Pharisees, you see. Nobody messes with the Pharisees of Nazareth and Galilee and of Jerusalem. You know, that that's where the hardcore are. Remember in our study in the book of Acts, if you've been walking with us for a while, remember when everybody was saying to Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem. Where was the spirit of the Lord saying to, to Paul? Hey, Paul, go to Jerusalem. You see, very dangerous place, Jerusalem. Very, very dangerous place. Everybody was telling Paul, don't go there, Paul. It's very dangerous. Don't go there, Paul. And what was the Lord saying to Paul? Paul, go to Jerusalem. You see, Paul was a dangerous man, very dangerous man. The good dangerous, the holy dangerous, a warrior. You see, everybody was saying, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem. It's too dangerous, it's too dangerous. Paul, he was dangerous. You see, very important to understand. So we're in the crowd. We see on one side the Pharisees, the heavies, the hardcore from Jerusalem. And then we see Jesus. Jesus, just one guy, one man. That's what we observe one man and the Pharisees, you know, we've been submitting to them and we see, wow, there's this one guy speaking and here are the Pharisees. We've been our whole lives. We've been submitting to the Pharisees and we hear this guy speak. People say he's a prophet. People say he's Elijah. People say he's the son of David. People say he's the son of God, which is it? And we're sitting there and we're observing like, oh my goodness, nobody speaks to the Pharisees like this. Nobody messes with the Pharisees. And these are the guys from Jerusalem. Nobody messes with these guys. And here this one man is. And what does he say? What does he teach? And bringing up the hypocrisy, the people, you and me say we're in the crowd and we start to realize, you know what? He's right. He's right. I w- I, I, I've been going to synagogue my whole life. I don't I've never heard I've never heard these, these traditions. I've never heard about you know washing your hands like this and that and this and washing the couches and washing this and that. I've heard about washing hands for the tabernacle. And people start to realize, you know what Jesus is right. Look what is happening, this contrast, this clash of tradition with this one man. And then you and me, we're in the crowd, and we're just kind of there. We're just observers, and we start to realize, you know what? Well, I didn't know who he was, and I thought he was a prophet, but you know what? He's more than a prophet. I thought he was just this guy, but he's not just this guy. He's He's Lord. He is the son of God. He is the Messiah. And then you start to see how blind you see blindness with the Pharisees, the religious establishment. But then you see something beautiful with those with soft hearts. You see, they're receptive to receive. It blows me away so much. Just look at the woman at the well. The woman at the well, she knows Tradition. She says to Jesus, you know what? Our fathers say that Messiah is coming. And Jesus says, hey, woman, I'm here. Boom, she believes. Two seconds, five seconds. I don't know how long the conversation was, but as soon as Jesus says, hey, I'm here, I am he. Boom, she believes. You see? But then you take these Pharisees, the religious establishment, in their hypocrisy and in their hardness of heart, you see how words the same words go in their earholes as the same words as the multitude hearing but then now you see the contrast of hearts you see and jesus starts to speak and he says there is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him remember the in the hypocrisy of the pharisees what 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 isaiah prophesied about well remember what you know that you, you, woe to you hypocrites Very important to understand what the Word of God teaches. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And in the tradition of the Pharisees, the Pharisees are the one with their tradition teaching as doctrine and holding as doctrine. Something that's not even in the Bible, not even in Torah. Moses never taught about it, spoke about it. Moses never did any of that. And in their tradition, hey, you got to wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. I'm not saying, you know, like, I'm not saying, you know, don't wash your hands if you're going to eat. But they were teaching it as doctrine. And so Jesus, he says, listen, there's nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. In verse 16, if anyone has ears to hear. Let him hear. Notice Jesus doesn't say, you know, the elect has ears. He doesn't say the predestined have ears. He says, if anyone has ears. In the Greek, whosoever has ears, let them hear. You see? And in verse 17, when he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. Remember, intimacy with Jesus opens the door to his blessings. You see, and you know, one of those blessings is that he's open with the disciples. He's open with the disciples where the disciples can come to him and ask him, you know, Lord, what did you mean about that? Lord, you spoke about this. What did you mean? But when Jesus is open with the disciples, it's also not without expectation. Very important to understand how our Lord expects us to grow and mature in him. I mean, say, for example, baby girl, baby girl is two years old. Baby girl two years old says, you know, mama, I'm thirsty. Mama gives baby girl some juice. Eh, Praise be to the Lord. No problem. You know, mama gives baby girl some juice. Now, say, for example, baby girl is 20 years old and baby girl at age 20 says, mama, I'm thirsty. You know what mama says? That's nice. What do you want me to do about it? You see, is mama mean? Not at all. Not at all. Has mama's love changed? Not at all. You see but mama has an expectation on baby girl because baby girl is no longer a baby she's an adult you see and jesus has the same expectation for us now if you're listening go and listen to our study in you know after this message go and listen to our studies in hebrews chapter 5 and 6 and you'll understand more there is an expectation for us to grow and mature in christ you see if the lord permits don't forget if the lord permits go and listen to our study hebrews chapter 5 and 6 very important. And so the disciples asked Jesus about the parable that he spoke and in verse 18, so he said to them, are you thus without understanding also? It sounds kind of harsh. It sounds kind of harsh, but when you understand this holy expectation that he has for us, it's not harsh at all. You can see it more as an encouragement for you and me to grow and mature. And so with Jesus, what he's doing here in verse 18, he's making this comparison to the multitude and the Pharisees. And, you know, he's saying, you know, are, are, are you like them? Are you like them? Are you without understanding like them? I mean, verse 18, he said to them, are you thus without understanding also? You see, and it sounds harsh. And in a sense it can be seen as harsh but when you understand like wait a second our lord he wants us to grow He, he wants us to mature just like the same with baby girl baby girl at age two mama. I'm thirsty. Okay Mama gets up pours. Did you get the, the glass? Gets the juice here baby girl drink Baby girl at age 20 mama. I'm thirsty, you know, that's nice Because baby girl can go get a glass herself Very important to understand that our Lord has uh, these expectations on us as well to grow and mature in him. And so Jesus, when he says, are you thus without understanding also? He says, do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? In verse 19, because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And here, we begin to see the shift. We begin to see a shift here. And we've already seen it with John the Baptist from a very special lineage. Remember our earlier chapters, a very special lineage with John the Baptist. And now we see it spoken plainly, a shift away from the flesh. A shift away from the carnal away from the flesh. I mean, say for example, a person eats a bacon cheeseburger. A bacon cheeseburger. The bacon cheeseburger does not enter the heart. You see? It goes into the stomach. And in the course of time, and not to be graphic, the person goes to the bathroom. It is eliminated. You see? All foods purified because there's no entry into the heart. The heart. The heart. The heart. You see? Away from the flesh. Away from the carnal. Away from the flesh. And these are, we're not at the establishment of the new covenant just yet. Because the one who's testator hasn't yet died. But that's coming. It's something we learn about in the book of Hebrews. But our Lord is starting to teach about it. We've seen it already. But he's starting to teach more about it. You see the new covenant. These are things. These are things that Satan, Satan, he's well aware of. He's well aware of. He doesn't want holy seed to be inside of anybody's heart. And he's very effective and he's very powerful and he has a powerful arsenal at at his disposal. Remember, very powerful. But what we have, is more effective and more powerful you see circumcision of heart circumcision of heart and I don't want to scare anybody but that's not a blanket statement for all Christians it's not a blanket statement for all Christians remember it is entirely possible for the Word of God to be of no effect and if it's of no effect in a person that person will lose 100% Of all battles 100% of all battles will be lost why wrong formula word of God of no effect and you see it in Christians you see it in churches where you see and forgive me for saying it like this but I don't know how to say it but you see the basket case Christians basket case. basket case Christians loss after loss defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat no victory you see, the word of God of no effect because the wrong formula. So you say, okay, so let's find a church where the word of God is of effect. And so you and me were looking for churches. You know, let's find, the, the, let, let's find a good church. Let's find a good church. And then after 10,000 churches, we finally found one. Praise the Lord. Are we done? No. No. Because now comes the formula inside of you and me. And through maturity, if the Lord permits, remember Hebrews chapter five and six, we can learn and grow and mature and become fighters, straight up warriors. Remember the, remember the, 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 the large campus that we spoke of not too long ago, the large campus where there's, you know, all these, these different uh, 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 training means straight up warriors. And Satan knows all about this. He knows all about it. He knows about circumcision of heart. He knows about the word of God being of effect when the formula is right. Satan knows that. He knows about gifts of the Holy Spirit. He knows about coverings and leadership. Satan, he knows all about it. And what does he do? He presents a bajillion alternatives. Why do you think it's so hard to find a church? Why do you think it's so hard to find a church? A person could say, well, it's a piece of cake because there's churches everywhere. And a person would be right according to the flesh, but it's only the remnant that knows that finding a church comes with tremendous, tremendous difficulty. And Jesus here, he teaches about the heart. It's not what goes in the body that defiles. Remember the, the bacon cheeseburger isn't in the heart. In verse 20, and he said, What comes out of a man that defiles a man? What comes out of a man that defiles a man? In verse 21, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Whoa. Whoa. What what a clash between what the Pharisees teach and what the Pharisees hold to what a clash between what they say and what Jesus our King says very very heavy stuff what our Lord says now let's put the world aside for a moment you know the world is the world Corinth is Corinth and let's look at the church let's look at the church is there adultery and fornication in the church absolutely absolutely look at hillsong look at hillsong straight up is there murder in the church absolutely look at joyce meyer and the security detail nice little ministry to serve and protect is there theft in the church look at the money preachers look at the money preachers they say oh tie the thousand dollars and god will give you tenfold increase is there theft in the church absolutely Is there covetousness in the church? Look how people extort their employers. Is there lewdness and evil eyes? Look at the summertime fashions. Look at the summertime fashions. Oh, look, because of the warm weather, women get to wear practically nothing. And the evil eyes get to look and commit adultery. Now, let me tell you something. Women, my beautiful sisters in Christ, most pastors, most pastors, men, most pastors are disqualified to teach you on this matter. Why? Because they corrupt themselves. They're hypocrites. And the word of God is with of no effect with them. With them, the word of God, no effect. But there are still qualified men. They sincerely care for your soul. Very rare, ultra rare, but they're out there. They're out there. Very important to understand Sometimes, you know, women, you know, you have these conversations with women and women like immediately on the defense, you know, how dare you, you know, I should be able to wear this. I should be able to wear this. Listen, but then we start to think about, you know, taking the, another, the conscience into account. Our study from Romans, remember our study from Romans, our study in first Corinthians, second Corinthians, remember before the separation. And then after the separation, the, 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 remnant separating from the leaven, very important to understand. And for my beautiful sisters in Christ, most men, cannot teach about this because they're hypocrites. See? And you know what to look for in a pastor, in a teacher. You know what to look for. The men who sincerely care for your soul. They want you in paradise. They want you standing before Jesus Christ, son of the most high. And they want you to hear in your ears, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Men who will die for you in teaching you so that you can grow and mature and become deadly. They're out there. Very rare. But they're there. So you look at the church. Is there blasphemy in the church? 100%. Look at Bethel. Grave soaking? Grave soaking? You know what that is? Necromancy. You know what the Bible says that is? An abomination. You see, the world is the world. And this is just what we bring up what we observe inside the church, inside the church where you see ministries there, you know, ministries are formed, you know, and we're going to help you with sexual addictions. We're going to help with your sexual addictions, but then there's no healing. A guy goes in a sex addict five years later, he's still a sex addict worse. Why? Because what the Bible says, what our Lord says, you know, worse demons, they've returned and the person was never equipped by the stupid pastor. You see, never equipped, never taught about how to become deadly so that when the demons come, the Christian knows how to fight. You see, it's exactly what Jesus taught us. And then you have people, oh, don't judge, lest you be judged. And pastors say it too, don't judge, lest you be judged. And with planks in their eye, it's the leaven, the leaven festers among the body. The leaven grows and the leaven becomes worse. And at the same time, the word of God becomes of no effect. You see, nice little social club. Nice little social club, a group of people, they gather together. They speak Christianese, you see. Laodicea. Laodicea. Jesus on the outside and the leaven spreads. And as the leaven spreads, so does the apostasy. You know what that is? It's the last days. That's what Jesus says to look out for signs of the last days. And so here in Mark chapter seven, look what happens now. From there, he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. I, I love this so much because, you know, Jesus, he straight up just dropped a bomb on them. He straight up dropped a bomb, teachings that, you know, move away from the flesh and the focal point now becomes the heart. And, you know, verse 24, from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He just dropped like a nuclear bomb, like a doctrinal nuclear bomb. And he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. He wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. I have a question, just a simple question, quick question for my Calvinist friends. My Calvinist friends who say the will of Jesus is irresistible. The will of Jesus is irresistible. Well, it is here. It is here. Jesus didn't want people to know that he was at this house. He could not be hidden. It is written. His will was resisted. And for my Calvinist friends, what does that say of your theory? You see, every single theory, every single doctrine, every single thought and concept, every single one of them must, not 20%, not 80%, must 100% align with Scripture, all of it. So here in verse 24, we see that the will of Jesus is being resisted and a woman found out about it. A woman, you know, Jesus didn't want anybody to know that he was at this house and a woman found out. We see here in verse 25, for a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him and she came and fell at his feet. Now, people think demons are just for adults. No, 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 no. That's not what the Bible says. Oh, the demons is just for adults It's just for adults and kids are innocent and kids are innocent until the age of accountability now there's still the age of accountability but the demons they don't care about age they don't care about age and people think that you know spiritual warfare demonic the demonic attacks that is just for adults no they attack kids they attack kids we see in verse 25 a woman who, whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him and she came and fell at his feet now listen. Parents parents do a great disservice to their kids when they fail to equip them. When they fail to equip them. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Protecting children is of great importance. Protecting children, that's beautiful. But what about kids becoming deadly? What about kids becoming deadly? The good deadly. What about that? You know, little little Timmy Remember little Timmy, our study in in, 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 in uh, 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 the Corinthian letters, and we see in, like, you know, little passages that, you know, oh, look, there's little Timmy, there's little Timmy. Then we see First Timothy and Second Timothy, and little Timmy's not so little anymore, you see? He was being raised and trained up and equipped, where, you know, his mom and dad, and remember grandma, you know, Lois and Eunice, remember, you know, they go to Paul, say, hey, Paul, you know, we've maxed out, we, We've we've taught little Timmy, we've maxed out. You know, can you take him under your wing? And Paul says, okay, let's fulfill what the Lord, what the, what the Lord says. Let's fulfill what was prophesied about your son. And so come on, little Timmy. And Paul, what does he do? He circumcises little Timmy. And people say, like, you know, why? Why did he circumcise? Because Paul, what he does, hey, Timmy, come here. You're gonna go with him. Because if if little Timmy, remember, he had he was like kind of like a half, you know, like you know, because he had uh, parents who were both uh, a Jew and Gentile, and so he couldn't go into synagogue. And Paul taking him under wing uh, under his wing, in order for little Timmy to have entry into synagogue, he had to be circumcised. And so Paul circumcises him and then they go into synagogue and little Timmy, he says, little Timmy, sit down right here next to me and you're going to watch me handle business. You're going to watch me handle business. Not in a prideful sense. as, You know, you're, you're going to watch me wreck shop, little Timmy. No, no, no. It's not a prideful thing. But little Timmy, he knows that it's prophesied by the Lord that little Timmy is going to be an overseer one day. He's going to be a pastor one day. He's going to be a shepherd one day. And Paul says, little Timmy, hey, you're going to sit down here. You're going to walk into synagogue with me. You're going to sit down right next to me. And you're going to watch me handle business. You're going to see how I handle business. You see? Because what Paul would do, he would straight up go into synagogue, into the hornet's nest, and prove from the text, prove from the scroll, prove from Torah that Jesus is the Messiah. He would prove. And the religious leaders, the religious establishment, you know, at first they didn't mind Paul. They were like, hey, Paul, let, you know, let Paul say his thing. But then when people started believing Paul and coming to Paul and believing Jesus and receiving Jesus, they were like, hey, Paul, we got to kill him. We got to kill him. You see? And so Paul circumcised little Timmy, said, hey, little Timmy, you're going to be right here. You're going to be under my wing. And you know what? You're going to watch me handle some serious business. Winning souls. Winning souls to Christ. Little Timmy, you're going to watch me fight the good fight. And so that when I'm dead, little Timmy, you're going to know what to do. You're going to know how to fight the good fight and continue and shepherd the people into paradise. You're going to know, little Timmy. You see? You see? And sometimes parents don't realize, yes, protecting kids, it's a beautiful thing. But what about little Timmy? When little kids, you know, they're protected, but at the same time, what about training and equipping, you know, the little Timmies so that they can become the shepherds of tomorrow? Very important for mothers to understand. You know, coverings are always male. You know, and a lot of time, a lot of times, women, they see the problems. For my beautiful sisters in Christ, you see the problems in the churches today. It's like, whoa, this pastor's crazy. This pastor's crazy. This pastor's crazy. And what happens is a lot of women, you know, sometimes what happens is, you know, they heed the counsel of other women, you know, largely by what they see online, on the internet, you know, like and subscribe. And then all of a sudden, the women say, you know what? I'm going to take it upon myself and I'm going to be a pastor too. And then they get into a Joyce Meyer situation. No, no, uh, uh, the word of God of no effect because the wrong formula you see and so for my sisters you realize like whoa there's you know these pastors are crazy and these pastors are crazy and you know as female I can't be a covering in the church but don't forget there's parental covering mama can train her son mama can train her children mama can train maybe multiple sons we see that with Hannah Hannah wasn't a covering for Israel Samuel was you see Samuel was very important to understand and Samuel was so broken hearted you know lord like they want a king you're the king lord they want a king and he's so broken hearted and the lord reassured him and said hey they're not rejecting you Samuel they're rejecting me and look at how Hannah pours into Samuel and how there was no widespread revelation in those days the Lord was silent in in Shiloh the Lord was silent in those days There was no widespread revelation and it's like wait a second. We got the priest. We got the high priest We got you know, the, we got Eli. We got Hophni. We got Phinehas and yet the Lord is silent And they were still going through the motions with sacrifice and offering you look at the 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 the, the, the temple service and it's like wow everything's happening just as the Bible says But then you look deeper you look at the heart. And where is Aboda Aboda Mishkan? You see? You see wickedness. You see wickedness in Hafni, in Phineas, and you see wickedness in Eli. But then you look at little Samuel. So beautiful. Beautiful covering of mama on little Samuel. And little Samuel grows up, raised, 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 becomes a man. And he's a covering on Israel, you see? And look at his brokenheartedness, his intimacy with the Lord. And look at his brokenheartedness when the people, if we want a king, we want a king, we want a king. No, the Lord is our king. And then the Lord tells them, no, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. Give them what they want, except this. Warn them. Give them stern warning. You see? So beautiful how we see the word of God. God. And how kids can have the covering of parent, covering of mama and papa. But in the case of Samuel, we see mama. (laughs) In the case of little Timmy, we see mama and grandma. And I love that so much because you see female covering on children. You see? And then you see little Timmy becomes adult Timmy, deadly Timmy. And he's a covering for the church, a covering for the saints as pastor. Paul, you know, old man Paul with little Timmy, oh well, middle aged Paul with little Timmy in synagogue. Little Timmy, you're gonna watch me handle some serious business. You see? Not pridefully, but in humility, proving that Jesus is Messiah in synagogue, in the hornet's nest. You see? So beautiful. And so here in Mark seven, you see this woman and she has a young daughter with the unclean spirit and she hears that Jesus isn't in this house and she comes to the house and she falls to his feet. And we see here in verse 26, the woman was Greek. The woman was Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she kept asking him, she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Very persistent, this woman. And the little girl with the unclean spirit. And sometimes you hear pastors make distinctions that aren't correct. They are not correct because, you know, they try to, you know, as if the unclean spirit are distinguishable from demons. And here in verse 25 and verse 26, we see it's one and the same. Unclean spirit, it's a demon, a demon inside. And so in verse 27, but Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. This is heavy. This is heavy. I can understand how a person could be offended by this. I could understand it. And what Jesus is doing here, he's speaking about Jew and Gentile. And being first is Jew. Remember what Paul says to the Jew first. And so Jesus is likening this Syrophoenician woman's daughter as not first, but also as. Little dog and it's easy to understand the offense but is Jesus being mean is Jesus trying to be cruel in saying this and we're seeing this contrast between Jew and Gentile and Jesus isn't saying that the bread isn't for the dogs he's saying let the children be filled first let the children be filled first Now, it's important to understand that back in the day, dogs were more utilitarian, you know, back in the day. Nowadays, you know, dogs are domesticated and, you know, people treat their dogs as like children and stuff. But back in the day, that didn't happen. Back in the day, they were kind of like, you know, you know, they were workers, you know. But, you know, back in the day, inside the house, a family would eat their dinner. A family would eat their, their meal. And then the leftovers no refrigerators in those days no refrigeration in those days we're spoiled now and so back in the day a family would eat a meal and then the leftovers they would take the scraps and they'd throw throw them to the dogs and the dogs were on the outside the dogs were on the outside and the word jesus uses here in verse 27 it's not just you know the dogs it's the little dogs and it translates as puppies puppies And so back in the day, you have the adult utilitarian dogs and they're on the outside. But sometimes the little kids, they would bring in the puppies and the puppies would be on the inside of the house. I mean, who can resist a beautiful puppy? Who in the world can resist a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful puppy? Now, remember, in the law, in the law, there are statutes in place for Gentiles to be grafted into the camp of Israel. Look at Rahab. Look at beautiful Rahab. Look at beautiful Ruth. And so this Syrophoenician woman, she's not Jew. She's Gentile. Syrophoenician, she's Gentile. And she's not offended by the words of Jesus. In humility, look how she responds in verse 28. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Under the table. I love this so much. She's not offended. She's not offended. And in humility, she says, but Lord, we're on the inside. We're not on the outside. But the adult dogs, if the scraps are thrown to, no, we're like the little puppies. We're on the inside. And even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. We're on the inside. on the inside Lord in verse 29 then he said to her for this saying go your way the demon has gone out of your daughter whoa and when she had come and when she had come to her house she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed so beautiful so beautiful. Healing for both Jew and Gentile. These are things that the disciples, when they become apostles, they're going to reflect back on and they're going to remember. Remember Peter? Peter in the book of Acts, with the vision and the foods and Cornelius? Healing for both Jew and Gentile. Gentile. But to the Jew first. To the Jew first. And our Lord is showing us a picture of something that Peter is going to remember. And it's going to help him in his own ministry in going to the Jew first and then to Gentile. And in verse 31, again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came to the midst of the region of the Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they begged him to put his hand on him so this there's a, a guy who's deaf and has impediment in speech impediment in his speech and when someone is deaf you know either deaf for a long time or deaf from birth you know they haven't learned enunciations you know like the, the cat jumped on the chair they don't have they haven't learned the enunciation because they they've never heard it they're deaf they simply don't know and so when a person speaks you know sometimes you hear the the mumbling but back in the day that was like That was kind of like ostracized from, from culture, ostracized from society. And so they bring such a person to Jesus. And in verse 33, And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Now, in John's gospel... When John gives the account of the blind man being healed, John says that Jesus spat on the ground and made clay with his saliva and then touched his eyes. But when Mark gives the account of the blind man, he says Jesus put spit in his eyes. And I suspect the same is happening here in Mark chapter 7, where Jesus spits on the ground, makes some clay, and touches this deaf man's tongue. Why the clay? Why the clay, as John records with the blind man? It's the same way an artist dips the brush on the palette of colors to create an image on canvas. It's the same thing. Our Lord dips his finger to the dust of the earth where man was created. The dust of the earth made wet with his spittle and touches the eye and tongue so the blind can see and the deaf can hear. Remember, all things were made in him, by him, and through him. And that's Jesus. In the beginning, Elohim. Remember, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1? In the beginning, Elohim, triune nature of God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see? And in verse 34, then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Epfata, that is, be opened. Immediately, his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loosed and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more wily they proclaimed it. Again, for my Calvinist friends, the will and commands of Jesus are being resisted. Very interesting. Very interesting what we see, what the Word of God teaches. Remember, every theory, every doctrine, every thought must align 100% 100% with the truth of God's holy word. And in verse 37, And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Wow. So beautiful to see how the Lord goes into an area. But how he's received is reflective on things that happen in that town and Things that don't happen in that town, just like Nazareth. You see, no mighty works in Nazareth, but then we see why that happens. And Jesus, he hasn't condemned the Pharisees just yet. That's coming where he says, woe to you, Pharisees, blind guides, whitewashed tombs. That's coming. But then when he says that, we're starting to see why he says that. It's the hardness of their hearts something jesus teaches us about here in mark 7 but we've already seen it and how satan doesn't want holy seed in anybody's heart and jesus starts to speak of circumcision of heart but this new covenant here in the era of mark 7 it's not yet in effect why because there's not the death of the testator just like we see in the book of hebrews you see And all of scripture, it's being fulfilled. And even still today, all of scripture, it's being fulfilled. The very things that our Lord teaches us about the last days, events in this world that will happen prior to his return. To the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days, God bless you. I love you.